Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 64. I want to thank you for following along with this podcast. If this is your first time, I appreciate you stopping by. I pray that it's a blessing to you. I pray that the Lord ministers to your heart as we minister unto Him. So, jumping right in, I have here over the past several days... I've really been spending a lot of time in Joshua. And as I've made my way through, I guess I'm about more than halfway across Joshua now, but I find it to be just, uh, I'm just enthralled. And and I'm finding so many gems uh, kind of scattered throughout it. And what I want to do for this episode is I'm going to read Joshua chapter 3 through chapter up to chapter 5. So reading chapter 3 and chapter 4. And uh, it's pretty a pretty bold uh, pretty bold goal, um, but um, we definitely will have to move through it pretty quickly. And so but what I want to do is just kind of touch in some some ideas, some things that have jumped out to me as I have read read through it, and I just feel like the Lord kind of showing me, speaking things uh, that I want to just kind of bring to your attention and uh, just touch as we, as we pass through that. So we'll just jump right in and uh, see, what, so, see what the Lord uh, speaks to our hearts. So Joshua chapter 3. Um, I'll be reading out of, for this, the NIV. And it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, that sounds very resurrection-like, to me as I as I read that after 3 days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the levitical priests carrying it you are to move out from your positions and follow it so i, I want to inject here this thought when they see the ark and when when you think more kind of holistically what is the ark a picture of what does it represent what does it symbolize we know that the ark in the most holy place was where god dwelt in the temple and now here we don't have a temple yet but we know that ultimately when he would rest in the temple in the most holy place, that was where his presence was. So the ark is really, it represents, it embodies or personifies the presence of God. So 
when you read this, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So when we as a people, when we see the presence of God, we are to move and follow his presence. Verse 4, Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Now, that's important to, to me because he says, you will know where to go by following what the ark, which is what his presence. So, when we as the people of God are sensitive to his presence, we can follow his leading and we will know where to go. And don't think of this as just a destination, you're heading somewhere, but just also as just a um, in, in life even itself. And, and as we, and, and something that I am just deeply, deeply passionate about is the presence of God. And we will know where to go, what to do by following his lead. It continues to say, then you'll know which way to go since you have never been this way before. This is new territory for you. This is places that you are unsure of. This is deeper water. But, he says, keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's about 3,000 feet between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Now, that's important to really pay attention to because here soon we'll see something. But he says, stay about 3,000 feet between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Now, remember, we're thinking this is the presence of God. Don't come near it. Now, in in the rea reality now that we experience in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, he removed this gap. He became the ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder? He became the ladder between heaven and earth. Angels ascending and descending. So Jesus became the bridge between heaven and earth. He made the, uh, the, the majesty of the presence of God approachable to man. Joshua told the people, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's exciting and faith-building. Verse 6, Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you 
as I was with Moses. So God wanted to exalt Joshua in the sight of the people. We take a very low view of ourselves, and rightly so, because in 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 comparison to God, that I mean, obviously there is no comparison, but but there is a a rightness to the denying of self, the uh, you know, the, the, a a humility, really, of ourselves to God. This is right, and this is good. But we see here explicitly God wanted to exalt Joshua in the sight of of the people. Now, it's important to to notice, though, Joshua allowed God to exalt him. Joshua did not try to pursue an an exalted place in the sight of the people. Oftentimes, and too often, we try to get into this place of we are... We are trying to establish our position, and especially in ministry or in dealing with with people in community, whatever it is, we want to establish our place. But we must we must just rest and step back and allow God to to put us in those places, whatever places, whether it's a high place or low place. We just step back and we let God do that which he wants to do. Tell, verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Now, that's, that's important too to see. This is how you will know the living God is among you. He's, he's about to do a miraculous thing here with in sight of the people through the ark, uh, through the the red, uh, or rather the Jordan uh, River, he's about to do something very miraculous. And God says, uh, and, well, Joshua said to Israelites, he says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you, because he is about to do something. And he's going to demonstrate himself. And there, there are several things at play here. I don't want to spend too much time because time is going quickly. But there are several things at play here and several things that are important. There is Joshua. We have Joshua here hearing the voice of God. He is obeying and he is acting in obedience to God. And, and Joshua, as a leader, is making room for God to do the thing that he desires to do. And then you have the people who are acting in agreement with uh, its leadership. 
there's many moving parts here and 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 all of them contribute to to really the kind of the terribly I'll call it the engine that's moving things forward but obviously it's God is doing a thing but there is a an agreement that's being made a a cooperation a participation of several factors Joshua the people Joshua's heart towards God Joshua's heart towards the people many factors at play but but we we see here that this is how this is how you will know that the living God is among you. And I think many times in our day, we have just kind of stepped back away from not so much, well, absolutely, the, the miraculous. We, um, many, many in our day, uh, we either don't have faith for it or it's unknown territory like we just mentioned and we don't know the way but not just stepping back away from the miraculous but stepping back from relinquishing control and allowing God to reveal himself through whatever mechanism he wants to whether it's through great signs um, through his presence through revelation through power demonstrations of the spirit whatever it looks like we have a willingness our willingness our desire to let god do what he desires okay so verse 11 see the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth see the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth will go into the jordan ahead of you now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, you see that repetition there, the Lord of all the earth. He's rem he is reminding the Lord over all the earth. As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now, I haven't I haven't unpacked this, but I want to introduce the thought to you so that you can consider it, um, to think on it, to chew on it, and see where you land with it. I believe there's something here about how this water reacted. So it says, as soon as the priests in verse 13, who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now picture, picture in your mind, what is the water doing here? What does that look like? You have the priests carrying the ark, stepping down into the Jordan. And what does it say? As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its water's flowing downstream. So that sounds to me, you know, if the, let's say in my imagination, they are stepping down into the Jordan and it's flowing from, well, in my imagination, from the top down to the bottom left. They step in the downstream waters. So that would be the waters to the left of the ark would, what does it say? It's going to, there's going to, the water's cut off 
and it's going to start to stand up in a heap. Now, as I imagine this, I'm thinking that what what God is doing here is is actually even more miraculous than just stopping the water and allowing them dry place to go through. Because if I'm imagining it correctly, the the downstream side needs to be fed, right? So that water can pile up. Do you, do you see where, like, what I'm thinking here? The water on the right side of the ark, that's the, what we'll call the source. And that water is stopped. You'd think that side would be what is piling up in a heap. But rather, as I read it, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and so the downstream waters will be standing up in a heap. I believe that this is even more of a miracle that God did here, this demonstration, because the side that should have been piling up, because water would naturally be flowing to it to stop and then pile up. No, it was, as I understand, the other side piling up in a heap. It's even more miraculous. Now, I think maybe there's something in there, but I haven't yet come to it, but I just want to kind of insert that for your consideration. Verse 14, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, so the water's high. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. Now that's a little different language, right, than we got in verse 13. It's interesting to think of. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam interesting, in the vicinity of uh, Zarethan, or Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Right, this is you know, this is the same but unique miracle that we saw under the leadership of Moses. You know, God affirmed his presence with his people then and he does it here again in in this under this leadership of Joshua in verse 1 of chapter 4 when the whole nation had finished crossing the jordan the lord said 
to Joshua. Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So the people passed by the ark. Did you catch that? When the, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Moses, or the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. So the people passed by, and even the elders picked up 12 stones right where the priests were standing. But do you remember in three, chapter 3, verse 4, keep a distance of about 3,000 feet. What about that directive? Now we have elders being right where the priests are standing, the people passing by the ark. I believe this is a picture of the the transition that is happening. It's It echoes so beautifully this transition from old to new covenant. You have, you have a people who, where the presence of God is is in front of them, far ahead of them, and they are following at a safe distance because they cannot approach, they cannot come near because they, they, they cannot. And now they approach the water. This is a picture of this death and baptism. And as they, as then the ark, the presence goes into the river, and think of New Testament language, the river, the Spirit of God. We see this also in, I think it's Ezekiel as well, but in, uh, in New Testament language, we understand the river and the Spirit of God. So we see this kind of, this, this dance of, of symbols and language. But as they come into the river, and then the people enter in and they then are at a place where they are not previously permitted to be even even remotely near yet they are passing by think of passing by think think of also pass over you know it's very um reminiscent and kind of paralleling that but God transitioned them from a place of distance to beside. He is bes- they are beside the ark. They are near. They are at. And this is, this is echoing like we are now. We transition through Jesus Christ from a distance to beside, near, at. He will be with us and he will be in us. So, 
Continuing on, verse 4, So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, this is important because notice there in verse 6, this, these stones are to serve as a sign because your children are going to ask you, what do they mean? And you are to tell them. This is a cry for how we should be reminding the future generations, those generations coming up underneath us, about what great things that the Lord has done. Remember Joseph in Egypt, and Pharaoh knew Joseph and, and gave all of his kingdom to him to, to, to rule and to effectively control and but there came a time when the new leadership the new pharaoh did not know of joseph he did not know him and so this is really an indictment against what we do even in our day is you know how many of those generations coming up do not know what things the Lord has done in our lives. I'm guilty of this as well. And I need to do a better job at telling those that are coming up underneath me of the things of the Lord. And in verse in verse 8, we continue on. He says, So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. So, remember, they were taking twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan. Now, this was normally covered up by high floodwaters. And so the thing here that's something we can take away is when you trust and you follow God, he will give you access to places you normally couldn't reach. And he may even let you get a souvenir to remember it by. I think that's kind of humorous, but I think it also rings true. These, these elders, they take these stones, these stones of remembrance. And, you know, in our language today, we, we, we could think of them as souvenirs. What are souvenirs? They serve as this, as a representative piece of, of an experience that you had. And so often, in, especially in our religiousness, 
we tend to to take this souvenir, if you will, this thing of remembrance. And if we're not careful, we blow it up into this big thing and we turn it into an idol. And so we have to remember that the thing that we are permitted to remember it through, we need not forget who it is who made that thing significant to begin with. So trusting and following God, He will give us access. He will give us reach to places that we couldn't have normally accessed. So verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan. Very likely this would be the deepest place. At the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. So what did it say? Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, that is significant to me. They are there to this day. I can read that statement because God's word is always true and never and never wrong. It's never inaccurate. God's word is eternal and accurate for all time. So when I read that statement, and they are there to this day, that statement must still be true as I sit here, read that in my day. And that is profound to me because that then tells me that God keeps his word true. He guards his word. That stack of stones must still be there this day. What does that mean? I mean, that means that God is guarding those pile of stones to ensure that nothing happens to invalidate his word. This is profound and it stirs me with such faith and excitement because if God will guard something like a pile of stones to protect his word, how much more does he guard his children? That doesn't mean th no bad thing happens to us, but he, if he guards his word to that degree, when he declares a thing to his children, how much more will he jealously guard his word so that it will come to pass for his children? It's profound and mind-boggling at the same time. But he guards the truth of his word. And there is a scripture, if I'm not mistaken, that says that God regards his word even over his own name. And if I'm recalling that correctly, that is equally as mind-blowing. Moving on, verse 10. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done just as Moses had directed Joshua, 
the people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Now, I'll pause here and point out, going back to verse 10, it said, The priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. Now, a couple points here I want to to point out. The priests remained standing until everything. As we minister to the Lord, we we get in a too big of a rush. We need to take to take note here until everything that the Lord had commanded. We should wait. We should slow down. God doesn't always move on our timetable. Reality, he does he rarely works on our timetable. It may just happen to be that our timetable lines up with his. He has his own plan and he brings it to pass. But we must slow down. When we minister to the Lord, when we are in times of fellowship with him and worship, we we need to do a better job of tossing our agendas out the window and allowing God to do what it is he desires to do. I think that so many times we would find ourselves in such a sweet fellowship with God if we could just throw our agendas and our timetables out of the window and allow him to move the way he wants to move. Okay, second thing I want to point out here is if you it's easy to miss it and and I just read right through it uh, until I realized that I had skipped it. But it says the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything, here it is, until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. That's very subtle, but there's so much loaded in that. Until everything the Lord commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. There's a lot happening there. In this statement, there is right leadership. And what do I mean by that? The Lord commanded Joshua. So Joshua um, came under the leadership of the Lord. There is a people who are submitting to the leadership of Joshua. So there's right leadership, both in the divine-to-man and the man-to-man relationship. There's right leadership. There is generational involvement. And what do I mean by that? Generational involvement. Moses directing Joshua. Moses the elder, Joshua the protege, if you will, the the up-and-coming generation. There is generational engagement there involved. And thirdly, there is a unified participation and direction. What do I mean by that? 
the people are abiding by the direction of Joshua. There is a participation and a unified, all the people moving in a direction in agreement with under the leadership of Joshua, who is subservient to the commandments of the Lord. So there is right leadership, there's generational involvement, and there's a unified participation. They're not just observing, they're a participating in a unified direction. They are moving in a direction. Okay. So that was important to add as I just kind of blasted right through there. In verse 11, as soon as them had, as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. Remember, the Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, they were, they had to participate in battle, but they had been promised a, a portion that is not quite into the new, the new promised land. They, I, I would say, settled for land before they would come to the promise. I think that's significant spiritually as well. But um, the men of Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites. As Moses had directed them, about 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life just as they had stood in awe of Moses. That's a powerful statement. And I am constantly being blown away by how great a man of God Joshua was, how great a leader Joshua was. And really, he is a type and shadow of, of Jesus Christ, really. Um... I'll just drop this little nugget here, but as I have been exploring further in Joshua, I think it is in chapter 14, Caleb, I am starting to discover Caleb as a type and shadow of Gentile Christians. Um, maybe I will uh, do some sort of something on on the significance of that, but um, I, I'm seeing him, Caleb, um, as a type and shadow of Gentile Christians, and Joshua, we can see as a type and shadow of Christ. But the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of, of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all of his days. Now, the religious spirit would judge this and be offended by it. The religious spirit likes to refuse this 
exaltation of man in an outward way, but inwardly they soak up this self-exaltation, but to the people they kind of murmur and complain about the exaltation of someone. But we see here, we see here clearly that the Lord exalted Joshua and people were in awe of him. And I, th- I just think that's powerful and I love that. Verse 14, uh, we just read, 15 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the ark of the covenant law to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. Okay, I thought about this before and just take a moment to think on it presently. Joshua is hearing the Lord. And sometimes we just assume that it, it may just it may have been this kind of thunderous, you know, speaking of God, this external sound. But that's not necessarily the case every time. We we just see that the Lord said to Joshua, this could have been a could have been an, an internal dialogue that he the Lord could have been speaking into his heart and mind. So this is something that we, you and I, can experience and and oftentimes will experience, but because we're we're not on the lookout for God speaking or we are just kind of maybe numb to it or we think it's ourselves and we just we are afraid of it um, i would encourage you to um, seek the lord on hearing his voice and and discerning him and as he as he's leading you to respond in the moment so joshua commanded the priests come up out of the jordan and the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan, camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? There it is again. Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. When he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. So the Lord did to the Jordan what he did at the Red Sea for Moses. He did this, verse 24, this is so important. This is so important. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth, catch that, all of the peoples of the earth, not just the Israelites who saw it, but even those who hear about this secondhand. He did this so that all the people of the earth would know 
that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why did God do all of this that we just read? So that all the people of the earth might know, one, that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And number two, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. There is two components happening here, knowing and fearing. And when we know that the hand of the Lord, our Lord, is powerful, what could we fear? What What is it that would would serve to or would attempt to to shake us and as we are his children why would we what could we possibly fear when we know that the hand of our lord is powerful and mighty to save and and i think that this speaks a little of where we find ourselves in the current day in in our um in our church in our churches Many times we find ourselves divorced from experiencing the power of God. And, and I think that in our lives, when then we find things that are powerful, there is such an attraction to that because we have, because we have stepped away from embracing God's power, that we become allured and and uh, tempted, if you will, by the power of other than God. So I think that I find an, an encouragement and, and an, an incitement to embrace, to come to know the power of God so that... I mean, the very purpose of all that just happened was so that the whole earth would know the hand of the Lord is powerful. And then lastly, so that we might always fear the Lord your God. Much of the, of the, the failures and the blunders that we participate in, in sin, much of that is due to a lack of fear of the Lord. We have relationship with the Lord, and so we don't want to offend him or hurt him, but much of the time it's because there is a lack of fear of the Lord. So I think we'll stop it here. I appreciate you staying along with me for this very lengthy episode, but we covered a lot of ground. I think there were some some nice gems in here that the Lord's brought out. I pray that it was a blessing to you, and we will see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.